let's all stand and worship together.
Good morning, everyone. How was your week? Three people had a good week. Anybody else? <laughs> it was a good week. Good. I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad to see your faces halfway. It's nice to see everyone here this morning. We prayed over you guys when we got here at 730. We prayed that you'd come in without all the stuff from the week on you. And we're going to pray that now as well. So join me in prayer as we welcome our Father here. Lord Jesus, we thank you for every person, every soul that is here this morning. Lord, we want to welcome you here. We know that you're here. And Lord, every week we ask you to move freely here, and we mean it. We want you to move freely in and out of all these chairs and behind the masks, Jesus, of people. Lord, we want you to be glorified this morning. We want to bring you a sweet offering this morning. And Jesus, we thank you for how you meet us right where we're at. So help us to check everything at that door again and leave it there and come in here with a clean slate that you can write on because we want you to feel free to do that with us individually and as a church. And we love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Who am I that the highest king would welcome me? I was lost, but he brought me in. Oh, his love for me. Oh, his love for me. Who the
chair just for you. Isn't that awesome? Does anybody else? I'm excited to see my chair. I think that's awesome. I'm so excited for that. The fact that he would consider me precious enough to give me a chair at his table. Do you feel that? Are you, as children of God, do you feel that? It should make you so excited that you want to tell everybody around you. You guys can take a seat. We have a, a new song that we're going to introduce to you today. <clears throat> I love this. It's so beautiful how God just lays lyric on people's hearts, and they write it out and pen it out and then put music to it. Can you imagine? Have you ever thought about what music is like in heaven? How beautiful it's going to be there. We get a little taste of that here. I just love the, I wanted to read the chorus to you. It says, you're amazing, faithful, love's open door. When I'm empty, you fill me with hunger for more. Of your mercy, your goodness, Lord, you are the air that I breathe. That's who you are to me. So we are going to introduce this to you today and just kind of sing it over you. And just let you soak him up and sing along if you know it already. And just be blessed. Some people think you're distant, just some words on a page. You're nothing more than fables headed down along the way. They've seen you part the waters when no one else can pull me from the deep. It's who you are to me. Some people think you just live in cathedrals made of stone. But I know you live inside my heart. I know that it's your home.
actually is to you too. Oh, this morning, when I was, did anybody see the sunrise this morning? It was really pink. It was beautiful, wasn't it? It was gorgeous. It was so pretty, and I was sitting there listening to a sermon and doing my devotion, and man, I was watching the sun come up, and the squirrels woke up, and we have a little black squirrel that runs around our tree that our kids call Ninja, and he was out and running around, and and just birds were waking up. It was really, really beautiful. But then it was, it was really neat because I was reminded of a story of John Wesley, who was an amazing theologian and um, really set our theology in place. And um, in Europe, where he was at, you can tour his house. Has anybody done that? Anybody here been through that? But you can go tour th- through his house. So these seminary students were going through touring his, these homes of theologians there. And they were real excited about it. And they were going through his home, went into his kitchen, saw where he ate at his table. They saw his living room where he had books that he had read that were really, really old and things that he had written that weren't finished. And then they went upstairs to his bedroom, the most intimate part of his house where he slept. And they looked around his room and they walked around the side of his bed. And there down on the bottom on the floor were these two spots that were rubbed into the floor where he had kneeled and prayed over and over and over for revival, which brought masses to Jesus. So as these students were going through the house, one student went up there, and, and all of them were there, and then they decided to, to leave and go to the next house, and the, the professor counted all the heads in the bus and sure enough, was missing one. So he went back upstairs, had looked in the kitchen. He wasn't there. Went upstairs, and he heard someone, and he listened, and there was a prayer going with arms stretched out, and the student had put his knees in the same spot. And he was praying, Lord, do a revival again. Start with me. It was beautiful. You know who that was? Billy Graham. That was Billy Graham. And look what God did with one. Now look in this room and see how many's in here. If we pray, he will do that again times all these people. So it's a beautiful thing to have that prayer going. I want my carpet to be worn out, so I'm not going to ever replace my carpet, so it'll just be worn out there to remind me of that. So I want to encourage you to get on your knees, stretch your arms out, and start praying because he listens and he answers. Should I? Am- 
joyful about it. I've been joyful in a battle before, but I kind of went in kicking and screaming. Anybody else do that? Going in kicking? Yeah, I thought so. <laughs> That's because my daughter raised her hand, and she has my blood in her, but we, we'll go in kicking and screaming sometimes. And then, man, he shows up. It's so awesome. So awesome.
voice with me one more time, just the voices. He knows my name. He knows my every thought. He sees each tear that falls and hears me when I call. All right. Oh, gotcha. All right. Awesome. I tell you what, I, I'm just... Uh, did you worship this morning? Did you just sense that power of the Lord just kind of rushing over us as the, as the words of the songs came? And I just couldn't help myself. But in that last song, I just, I just sensed the power of the Spirit just entering in. He's in our midst. He's up to a good thing. He's up to a new thing. And I, today, as we, as we begin, I, I need to ask you to, to worship with me in the giving of our tithes and offerings. But I want you to know that it is a joy to be able to give of what God has been giving us. And he's not just asking for us to give of our money and our resources. Uh, God, by the way, doesn't need your money. Oh, I know that some of my board's probably thinking, no, the treasurer's probably... God doesn't need your money. But what he does need is a full amount of trust in him. And sometimes it says in scripture, it reminds us that where our heart is, there, there, where our treasure is, excuse me, there our heart is also. And so... I'm going to ask you today, in a different way as we give of our tithes and offerings, is Jesus your treasure this morning? If he's your treasure, then would you be obedient to him in giving of your tithes and offerings as a part of our worship today? If so, let's just, uh, let's just ask the Lord to enter in this morning as we bless the gift and the giver. We thank you, God, for this day. We thank you, God, for how you are already moving. We thank you, God, for how you've spoken through the words of, so of songs, Lord. We thank you, God, for how you are already preparing us, God, for you, what you have to share in this place today. We thank you, God, that you've walked with us throughout this week, and we thank you, Lord, that you've given us direction to our steps. We thank you, God, that you've given us purpose to our lives. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us a reason to live and a reason to share. And we not only just give of our tithes and offerings, Lord, we give of ourselves today, and we lay our hearts in your hands and we ask God for you to do a great work mold us and make us into the people you've called us to be and we pray this in Jesus name and together we say amen amen today I I need to ask you for grace I I'm asking you for grace because I, 
I, I sensed the Lord speaking to me in the wee hours of this morning saying, Matt, you need to go in a different direction than what you were planning to go in this day. And so at 12.10 in the morning, after I had been wrestling for hours during Saturday, during the day, and I felt good, and by the way, you know what it says in Scripture, that pride goes before the fall, and I told my staff on Wednesday, I said, sometimes the sermons just come so easy, and this week it's coming easy, and I said, and, the, and it's, you know, it, we're going to be preaching, I'm going to be sharing about behind the mask, and I shared with them what the direction we were going and all of that, and then yesterday I just... You know, you're putting those final tweaks on your sermon and you're thinking, you guys know how it is. You know, you're, you're thinking, well, yeah, I, you know, well, God, what, what would you have me to do here? And something wasn't settled inside of my heart. Something wasn't settled inside of who I am. And I was just, I was praying to her. I said, God, wait a second. I, I asked on Monday morning, just like I always do, and, I, and even as I'm looking forward throughout our calendar, our church calendar, what's the direction that you want to go? And I heard you saying, to me, if we're going to reach this community, we got to get behind the mask. <laughs> and we all are wearing these masks just like you are this morning. And we can see them now. You and I can see the masks that we're wearing. But here's the thing is that before there was ever a mandate on masks, we were wearing masks before. Do you hear me? Sometimes they have a big smile on them. Everything's all right with me. Sometimes they have, you know, just you know, a stay away kind of a, you know, just kind of smirk. You know, I, it's, we all have been guilty of wearing masks in our life. And I went throughout the week, and I was going to Mark chapter nine, and I was going to preach from there, from where a father had taken his son, and he'd taken his son to Jesus, and 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 he'd taken him to the disciples first, and the disciples couldn't heal him. He went to Jesus, and Jesus was was just kind of winnowing out his heart. What's what's happening in your heart, Father? And eventually, the father said, "I believe, but help my unbelief." I believe, but help my unbelief. And I was thinking, you know, we're going to weave that into what we did last week and understanding of our oikos. And there's people, there's 8 to 15 people around us that we need to love for Jesus Christ. And, and I, I thought, we'll weave this all together. And I even called Jerry this week and I said, Jerry, would you... Would you be willing? I'm sorry, Jerry, I'm kind of just throwing you under the bus. Here we go. <laughs> and I said, would you be willing to you know, share something that you share with me this week? And he's like, I don't know. And it was good that he said that because God revealed to me last night as I was thinking about how do I move us forward in the next step after this service where we talked about heaven and hell and what, why we exist, what's the next step? I'm sensing God saying to me, you know, we need to be vulnerable with each other. We need to be able to take off that mask. We need to be able to be a church where people can come here and they can know that they can trust us with their hearts. And we need to be that with each other too. Because like it or not, we're not perfect. That's why forgiveness is so important. Church. I prepared, I usually put a minimum 
a minimum of 15 hours in at least. And I prepared, Lord, what are you doing? At 1210 this morning, I sensed God saying, this is the direction you're going to go. And I said, no, I'm not. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. is I, I, I don't even know if, if these people even really like me yet. They, they're just getting to know me. I, I'm not going to step out on that type of a limb already. There's no way. I'm not going to do it, Lord. By 3 o'clock this morning, I relented. Okay, Lord. We had planned this. I had planned this. And then in the midst of it, I sense God saying, you're asking your people to be vulnerable. But Matt, you've got to learn to be vulnerable first. You're asking your people to get, take off the mask. You're asking your people to get out there and to love people right where they're at, where it just kind of hurts and it's just kind of, it's a dirty, messy thing at times. But first, you've got to take off the mask. You've got to be vulnerable Matt, I don't want to be. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm going to be just very, very, very honest with you. This morning I woke up with this knot in my stomach and I'm like, I don't want to go. Have you been there? (laughs) But as I said yes to the Lord, he reminded me, Matt, The thing that was so beautiful about last week, when we stood here and we came to understand the true reason why we exist as a people, when people over here were looking at people over here and vice versa, and people were crying and people were hurting and people were thinking, this, I'm getting it, I see I'm seeing the bigger picture here, an eternal picture, not just this temporal picture. When that happened, I began to sense that this church... Its heart is breaking for the same things that God's heart breaks for. That's good, church. When our hearts begin to break over the same things that our Father's heart breaks over, that's a good thing. And so I want you to know today, I'm just going to be very vulnerable. I'm asking you again, will you have some grace with me today? Thank you. Four years ago, I left Castle Rock, the, called the Connection Church of the Nazarene, and I went from there, and, and we, we, we had interviewed in a, in a place called Sacramento. I went out there, and I thought, there's no way. Uh, I, we're not going to go that direction. I, my kids didn't want us to go. My wife did not want us to go. After being there, I was like, no, I don't think this is the right thing. And so I, I said no, as they had called me to come and be their pastor. This church had been without a pastor for three years. It was a tough situation. And I had been in Castle Rock for nine years, and, and, and I loved it there. We had taken a home, and we had bought it and remodeled it, made it the way we wanted it to be. We thought we were going to be there until we retired. I mean, things were going well. It was not an easy tenure always there either. But, but man, we had roots and my children loved the school. My wife was enjoying her, her lives there. And why would we go? We're in Colorado. It's beautiful here, right? 
But I began to, to pray, and I sensed, I sensed God was moving in a different direction. There's prayers from Philippians 3.10 where, where Paul says, you know what? I want to know Christ. And, and, I'm, and I was sensing there in that church that, Matt, it's about time for you to begin to move on. And I didn't want to move on, but my prayer was, I want to know you, Christ, even in your sufferings. And I prayed that prayer because I kept saying to the Lord, I want to make a difference. And, and, and not that God wasn't doing things and making a difference there where we were at, but I knew that God was moving. So I got that call. We went there, and I said, no. My kids were like, thank you, Dad, that we're not going to Sacramento. My wife was like, thank you. And then, and then I... I came back to our church and I preached and I preached every sermon and every sermon that I preached kept coming back to me. I, every sermon, I, I would come back and I would just, I would be up there on the stage and I would be in tears and, and, and I was thinking, I'm not preaching for them, I'm preaching for me. I'm, I'm saying the right things, but I'm the one that should be following what I'm telling these people to do. And finally, one day, we're going, merging onto I-25, coming out of, from our service at church, and I'm just in tears, and I'm told Jackie, I think I've made a mistake. I, I, we, I should have said yes. And, and, and so Jackie said, well, call him up. I said, I can't call him up. You, you say, you know, I can't do that. There's no way. Two days later, two days later, I get a call from that district superintendent and he says to me he says Matt he said I know what your answer is going to be but I just want to ask you this question will you reconsider they really would like to have you come and be their pastor would you reconsider and I couldn't believe it I said I need to talk to my wife but but I can tell you the answer is going to be yes we made plans, and I told him yes, and we made plans, and I, I flew out. I, we had sold our home there in Castle Rock. We'd made good money on it. Bought a home there in California that was just beautiful, amazing home. As a matter of fact, I didn't even realize it, but a guy by the name of Uriah Faber owned it before us. I don't know if any of you are in MMA, but he was like the featherweight champion of MMA. I'm not into MMA, but I found out later on this is a big deal. And, and, uh, and it was a beautiful place. We had, I mean, just looked, and, and the church was a big, beautiful church. And oh, it was about 140, 150 people there. But there had been three years before that they had not had a pastor and no one would take this church. And I knew it was going to be tough, but I didn't know how tough it was going to be. So we got there and into our home, moved in. And, and after I was installed on Sunday, the next very next day, I, I had four meetings. And these were the four power brokers within the church. And those power brokers came to me and said, and there's a Starbucks literally on every corner. I went to four different Starbucks. I was really charged up by the time it was all done with. But I, I said, we, meet, we, we met hour by hour. And, and each one said, you better do what we're asking you to do. And the last one actually made a threat to me. If you don't do this, this is what's going to happen to you. And it won't be good for your family. 
as I left because I just nodded, okay. <laughs> as I left, he's going towards his car and I'm going towards mine. And he says, oh, by the way, there's going to be a group of probably 12 people or more at the board meeting tonight. They're there to protest or something like that. If you want me to, I'll try to help you out with that. I went directly from that meeting and I went to the church and we had altars there and I just, I just kneeled at the altar and I just prayed. I was like, Lord, I don't know what to do. I'm not following any of those four power brokers. I'm going to follow you. But I don't know. I don't, what do I do in the midst of this? I called up my previous district superintendent. His name is Dave Ralph. And uh, you guys know him. And I said, Dave, what am I, what am I, what am I doing? I, I, what am I going to do with this? And he said, oh, Matt, you're, you're in trouble. <laughs> he, he just put it right out there. He gave me some advice. Sure enough, we went into that board meeting that night. And as we began, I, I began to just kind of set the tone. And, and next thing I know, as we were beginning to have our reports, uh, people started getting angry. And I mean red-faced angry, pulling in situations and talk about their spouses. And I, I, was, I couldn't believe it. Then this group of 12 people had truly walk, walked in. And as they walked in, I, I, I had to say, well, Lord, I... What do, I, what do I say to these folks? And they began to throw in their opinions as the rhetoric began to increase and increase and increase. And I was like, Lord, what do I do? I said, we need to stop right now. And I put this into an executive session. And I said, I, only thing I can tell you folks right now is this is not the way that a church needs to function. We've got we've to pray. And so I asked them, let's stand together and let's pray. I said, can we hold hands as we pray in this circle? They would not hold hands. So I prayed. Within three months, my wife had been publicly humiliated. My children had been terrorized. I, I can't, I won't even tell you the things that were happening. I went to the district superintendent and I said to him, I said, look, I, I need some help here. He said to me, I'll never forget. He, he said, Matt, you're in the big leagues now. You need to just dig a little harder. Work a little harder at it. Okay, I'll work harder. And I did, I got in there and I tried and I tried. And it got worse, and it got worse. And finally, as my wife and my kids were at the end of their rope, and they were hurting, and they were, I mean, three months in, and we were broken beyond what you can imagine. I said, I felt like a failure. I mean, a complete Failure. Here I've just come from a very successful tenure, nine years in, in Castle Rock, and then I go to this, and I'm just completely broken. What happened, Lord? You told me to go here. Why? Why would this take place? Why would this happen to me? Why would this happen to my family? Why would my girls have to go through this hell? And I, I couldn't protect them. And so I 
I spoke with my wife as we're praying, and, and she's just, you know, the mama bear just came out. She said, I, I can't do it anymore. And so she, she packed up the stuff that we could pack, and, and I sat, and I stood in my garage, and I watched my wife and my kids just back out of the garage and leave heading to Kansas as I'm there in California trying to put these things together. I, I wept. I mean, I just wept. It hurt so bad. I just, I, as I went back into this empty house, I, it was beautiful on the outside, but so empty on the inside. I was like, God, why? Why would this happen? Why would you allow this? I did what you asked me to do. As I told the district superintendent what was happening, he apologized and he said, Matt, he said, I'm so sorry. I handled this the wrong way. He told me, he said, they've been without a pastor for three years. He said, honestly, when you got there, I was hoping I would never hear from this church again. (laughs) Come to find out, someone from the church where I was pastoring had also been over there at the district office and they said if he ever came back, they were going to call the police and not let him in. It was, it was a crazy time. So I left there and I went, followed after, not long after, after I helped button things up with the district superintendent. And I went to Gardner, Kansas, and I lived in my family's, my wife's family's basement. All five of us. And I sat there and I thought, what a failure I am. What a mess I am. What an... I don't, I don't deserve to be a pastor. I, I mean, just four, five months ago, I was on cloud nine. People loved me. They thought I was great. They, and, and, then, and then this. I went and I looked for a job. I thought, well, I can't just sit here. I've got to find something. And so I began to work for a job, look for a job. And, and, and I thought, I'm done. I'm not, going to be, I'm not going into ministry any longer. This is it. I'm done. This is not going to happen anymore. Dave Ralph, our district superintendent, called me. He said, Matt, he said, you can't do that. He said, I've seen you. I've seen you. I've watched you. He said, look, I have a place up here at Golden Bell. He said, you can go up there. It'll be a good respite for you. Don't even put that three months on your resume. Don't even, just, it's just, just let God restore you and your family. And so I came up here and, and I did. And I told you the story about Florida. And in the past then, four years, We've been homeless twice. Not really a place to go. I had friends and family that thankfully took us in. And I looked at my wife after we went through what we went through in Florida, and I said, I am so sorry. I was just broken before her. I'm just so sorry for this. And it was around, if I remember correctly, our anniversary at that time, and she said, Matt, she said, I will follow you no matter where you go. I'll follow you. Because she believed in my heart. 
And I believed in God's heart. And sometimes, folks, life doesn't make sense. But I want to tell you this, that when life doesn't make sense, that there is a God and a Savior that is there to lead and guide and direct you and bring something purposeful to it all. I was told after I left Florida by an individual, his name is Dave Ramsey. He's not that Dave Ramsey. This guy was another, but I mean, he's successful. He actually was the president of acquisitions for Julian Fabrics, and then he went and he served at one of the two large Nazarene churches, and he was helping us through these processes. And in the midst of it all, again, I found myself at the end of leaving there at Florida, and I thought, you know what, here we go again. What, what, am I, what, what is this about, Lord? Why? Why? I put my heart out there, and it just seems to get trampled each time. Why is this happening? And as I left, I, Dave said, Matt, he said, I want you to know it's not how many times you get knocked down, it's how many times you get back up. And then he said... And, and he said, I've been watching you. And he said, and if I was going to bet on somebody, I would bet on you. Now that sounds like I'm ringing my bell, but I'm telling you, I couldn't have been. I was at a low spot. I couldn't believe he would say that about me. We go to Kansas and, and we start that, in that church there. And God showed up. And here's what he showed me, is, Matt, when you're broken, I can use you. When you're broken, I can use When I can say, like I said on my very first Sunday here, I am nothing and he is everything. When you can say that and you mean it with your whole heart, I can use you, Matt. But I had to be vulnerable. I had to just... I had to keep following even when it didn't make sense. And I, that song that we sung this morning in the fire, I was thinking of you know, that section there in, in Daniel. And, and I, I love this portion of Scripture, and you're going to have to take a moment while my eyes adjust here. <laughs> uh, King Nebuchadnezzar said, you're going to either bow down to me or you're going into the fire. And he said to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown in the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, there's powerful words. But even if he does not, We want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. And there were times in my, my ministry during those four years that I just thought, you know what, I, I don't know what you're doing, God. I don't know why. I, because every part of my life before, there was been, you know, in the ministry that I'd had before, I just sensed that God had always delivered us from the fire. He'd always delivered us from the fire. But today, and in those four years, God was saying, I'm not going to deliver you from the fire, Matt, but I'm going to deliver you in the fire. Do you hear me? I'm not going to deliver you from the fire, but I'm going to deliver you in this fire. 
And I think to myself in the midst of all of that, I think, thank you, God. And I can look back, and even though it hurt, and even though my family was broken, and I was broken in the midst of it all, today, I wouldn't change a thing. I don't want to go through it again, but I wouldn't change a thing because today, because of the brokenness and because of the hurt, God is using it to make my heart just melt into his. It's one with the Lord, and I say that very... I say very carefully because I've got so far to go and so much and so many ways to grow in. But here's the thing is that brokenness has also allowed me to love people right where they're at in ways that I never thought I could before. And this week, after this Sunday sermon, I, I want to thank you, church, because many, I mean, I had, I had a lot of calls and people that I met with this week and and you began to share with me what you're going through. The hurts, the struggles, the pains, the fears, the anger, the, you name it. And one day after about five hours, I, I came home during this week and, and I said, I, I just started to talk with Jackie and we began to talk and, and I just began to sense the Lord just like overwhelming me with this desire just to pray. And I began to see some of your faces, and I would just pray over you. And, and next thing I know, I had evidently fallen asleep. Jackie says, four and a half hours later, are you, are you okay? <laughs> but here's the thing, is I, I understand the weight and the struggle that many of you are going through. I've been there when I've just been like, you know, God, I just... I don't even understand you right now. But in the midst of it all, his spirit within me allowed me to say, just like these men said here, he allowed me to say, you know what, but even if he doesn't deliver us, I will still believe. But the good news is that he did. He has delivered he continues to work. And I tell you this today, and I shared this with you today, to tell you, you know what, my path has not been perfect. It's not always been easy. It's not been fun. But I'm going to tell you something. I want to be real with you and tell you, I understand what it feels like when you feel like you've been broke. I understand what it feels like to go from the mountaintop and just feel like you're stuck in the valley. But as one person said to me this week, it was, it was a, a, a Bill, uh, he shared with me, he said, you know, you're, being in the valley is actually just being stuck, but going from one mountain to the other. Not stuck, but just being on journey, going from one mountain to the other. And and you may think when you're looking back on your struggle and on your situation, well, yeah, God, he didn't take me around the fire. He delivered me in it. But I want to tell you today that oftentimes in that fire is when things are forged that you can never have seen happen otherwise. As Nebuchadnezzar began to look into this this fiery furnace. There were three men that had 
been going, that had gone in. It was so hot that the ones who took them near the furnace, they had died on their way in. They perished. It says, and then after they took them in, he said, he, he said to his men and people around him, hey, didn't I put three in there? Because there's a fourth one in there, and he looks like the son of God. In your deepest valleys is where God shows up. God will show up in your deepest, darkest situations. And I'm telling you, you have to keep putting one step in front of the other. But he shows up. In the midst of it all, not only did I sense that understanding that Jesus was right there with us, but friendships were forged and, and new relationships happened. And actually, in the midst of all the brokenness, God brought my family closer than I ever thought we ever could be. And in the midst of all the hurt and all the pain, God forged relationships with people and saw people come to know him as our Lord and Savior that I never dreamed could ever happen. But it started with this. It started with me being okay with being vulnerable to God and what he wants me to do. In John chapter 8, there is a text about a woman who was caught in adultery. And it says in verse 2, it says, At dawn they, he appeared again in the temple courts. This is Jesus. And, and where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. And the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery, and in the law Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. And I listen to these words and I read these words and I, and I think of this poor woman who was caught in the act of adultery. Now you say, why do you call her a poor woman? Well, we'll get to that. But here's the thing is she was caught in the very act and, and according to the law of that day, it was, it was the right thing to do to stone her, to kill her. She should have died according to the law of that day. They threw her right there in front of Jesus. And, and she was vulnerable. Many theologians say probably since she was caught even in the act of adultery, probably naked before the Lord, completely bare, completely vulnerable. The Pharisees didn't care much about this situation with this woman. The reason why was because they, they didn't have a high value of women in that day, number one. And number two, they couldn't care less about her. They were trying to trap Jesus. And so they threw her there. And not only was she vulnerable before the Lord, but she was vulnerable before these men of the law, these men who called themselves righteous. And in reality, what the sad thing was, is in the midst of this whole situation, what she found herself in the midst of was this, that she was not only being used by men beyond this situation, but now she was being used by these Pharisees for their own gain 
and wants as well. So there she is. She lays right there before Jesus, before the teachers of the law, and they say, hey, Jesus, you know what the law says. We've heard you. Jesus, what do you say? Jesus, it says in Scripture, in verse 6, that Jesus bent down. Jesus bent down. He, he, I mean, can you imagine being in this place where this woman is vulnerable, naked, confused, scared, uh, knowing she's guilty of sin, knowing that she, what she's coming for her, and then Jesus, he just kneels down. Have you had a kneel down moment with Jesus? Have you had that time in your life where you just knew, man, I, I just, I, I, I'm in the worst situation. I, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling. I, I, this is my fault or I failed or whatever else you may feel like. And you've had that moment where Jesus just bent down. And everything inside of you is saying, you know what? I feel like maybe the right thing is just for me to just throw it all away, just give up, just Go ahead and take my life, Lord. Just, I don't care. Just take it. But here's the thing about our Lord when he bent down. He bent down with a heart that was more concerned about being redemptive than being right. Do you hear me? He bent down to her with a heart that was more concerned about being redemptive than being right because the right thing was to stone her the law said it but Jesus had a different perspective do you understand he had a different perspective as he looked at her so he bent down and he started to write on the ground with his finger they just kept on questioning him it says in verse 7, And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to, him, said to them, That any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Now he's, he's, he's sowing solidarity with her. He's nailing down and he's writing only God knows what in the sand. But here's what I wonder, because you've got to imagine, here they've surrounded Jesus, they've surrounded this woman, and the ones who are speaking to Jesus and are questioning him, they're the ones who are in charge, they're the ones who are the senior officials, and here they are in this first line of this circle, and, and what are you going to do, Jesus? We all have the stones, we're ready to kill her. And whatever he wrote in the sand made them think, Twice. I think that, and who knows what it was, but I think that whatever they wrote in the stand reminded them and opened their heart in such a way that they realized, I'm that woman. I've sinned. I've hurt. Could you imagine him just writing things that they only they would know? 
in that first row. And they began to drop the stones. And they learned what it meant to be when you were on mission to be more concerned about being redemptive than just being right. At this, it says in verse 9, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones there in the front row first until the only Jesus was left with the woman standing there and Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. And I want to tell you folks, that you and I, we are the lady in the middle. Listen to me. I, I have sinned and I have fallen short of the glory of God. You with me? We all have. I'm, I'm that lady right there. I can't look at you and say, oh, you know what? I'm just, uh, I have all the answers. I'm Mr. Right when it comes to theology and it comes to this and it, I'm not as concerned about proving what is right as much as I am about being redemptive now hear what I say when I say that because I want you to understand that Jesus is the way the truth the life he is right but when he redeems a soul you don't have to worry about understanding that or not i'm telling you i believe that the holy spirit's power is strong enough that he can take someone who is broken and someone is hurting and someone who is lying there and even though others might say man they screwed up or man they really messed up and they every one of them are right and jesus steps down and he kneels right next to you and suddenly you don't have to know what is right or wrong anymore you know that jesus is the right thing you choose him that's what redemption is all about but when we put the cart before the horse then suddenly we find ourselves standing on street corners with signs that say turn or burn or you're judged and God hates you or you're not good enough or whatever else the signs sometimes say and you know what they will never come to know the Lord Jesus Christ with that type of attitude they need a church that will bend down with them. Are you hearing me? I went through all of that crud. My family went through, but let me tell you something. There were good men and women who loved the Lord, who bent down with us and loved us through it. Oh, I could have stepped back and said, oh, the church is awful. I mean, I, I don't know, Jim Christie, he and I, we had a meeting when I was up here at Golden Bell, and I just poured my heart out to him. Tim Stearman, there was years, but here I was up there, we, I just poured my heart out to him. They loved me through it. They, you know, they could have said, you know what, well, Matt, you probably should have maybe thought of this a little differently, or you should have. But they were more concerned about being redemptive with me because they saw something, something worth redeeming. As you look at your family, as you look at your friends, as you look at your co-workers, those that you rub shoulders with, those who need Jesus, I want to ask you today, 
Will you just bend down with them? Sometimes I've just told folks, you know what, I just, I just want to get to know you. Because the only way that I can get to know how Jesus is working is if I get to know you. In Ainsworth, Nebraska, on the south side of Main Street, <laughs> there is a place called the Silver Circle Saloon. I frequented there often. Let me tell you how it began. A land of ranchers, and I'm wondering, this boy that grew up in Maryland, you know, eating blue crab and out on the Pet Chesapeake Bay, how am I going to reach ranchers for the Lord? I didn't know what to do. God, what do I do? I woke up one morning and Jackie said, what in the world are you doing? I had these coolers and I was filling them with ice because I truly sensed and I know God said to me, Matt, you need to go out there in those fields. It was the time of year where they were haying. It was hot. Just go out and meet them. Take some cans of lemonade. And so here I went. I had a four-wheel drive and I just went over the sand hills and I began to just, I see a tractor way out there and there I went off into the field. <laughs> One of the guys that I met, I came up to him and he gave me that skeptical look like many of them had been giving him. And I said, hey, do you want a drink? And he said, sure. He said, I said, gave him a lemonade. And he said, he said, who are you? with some type of salesman. And I said, well, some people might say that. But <laughs> I said, I'm a preacher. Oh, boy. He looked at me. He said, well, let me just tell you right now, preacher, if this would have been a beer, I might come to your church. <laughs> And so our journey began. And he was up on his tractor, and I'm down there, and I just began to talk with him. And, and I just sensed there was hurt and there was pain in his life. I didn't know what it was, and God just began to really just draw me to him. And, and, but I didn't know how to get a hold of him. I, I, you know, I, didn't, I gave him my card, but he didn't have a card to give to me. And so I, I recognized, though, his... His truck, because his truck was there, it was very distinctive. And if you were in ranch country, you kind of know how to pick those out. Anyway, and every day as I would go through town, there was his truck in front of the Silver Circle Saloon. And I'm, not, I'm telling you, it could be nine in the morning, and his truck was there at the Silver Circle. I, as I passed by, I always would sense God saying, you need to go in and talk with him. I was like, uh-uh. This is a small town in the middle of nowhere. Everybody knows who I am. Everybody knows what car I drive. Everybody's going to be talking. There is no way I'm going to find myself in there. One day, I drove by, and the Holy Spirit's power just came upon me so strong that I literally drove around the block, and I began to drive around it just wrestling with the Lord. I don't want it. No, I can't. So I parked across the street on the other side as if maybe no one would notice, and there I went, middle of the day, into the silver circle. And, and as I walked in, there was my friend right there. And, and I'll never forget what he said. I've only met this man once before. And he, he as I come in, he said to the people who were around him, he said, oh, hey, this is, this is Pastor Matt. He's the pastor over here at so-and-so church. He said, he's my pastor. Everybody welcome him in here. Well, I mean, I had an amazing reception. Yeah. And I went up to the bar next to him. I had a Coke. 
with nothing else. <laughs> and, and I began to talk with, with this man. And he began to share with me. He lost his wife. And this was over a course of time because I kept going back because Jesus kept telling me, you need to keep going back. And so over the course of time, I began to tell him, or he began to tell me his story, and he shared with me that his wife had died of cancer not long before. And then after that, he had two boys, and his two boys were, were changing the tire, and they were on, uh, it was kind of considered the main road, but it didn't have any shoulder. And in the middle of the night, they're changing the tire, and both of them were hit, and they were killed. And he's saying to me, why would God do this to me and my family? And he said, and then one person from your church... My neighbors said to me, it's my fault that this happened because I didn't have enough faith. I wasn't following the way that I should have been. What do I say? I just, I just sat there. I said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I said, I'm telling you, that's not the Jesus I serve, though. And I explained to him, because he began to slowly open up, we live in a broken world, man. This world is broken. It's hurt. It's painful. There's, there's all kinds of tough things that are happening. It's broken. From the time that our first parents made that fatal decision, we've been living in the midst of pain and hurt. Even Jesus said, in these days you will have trouble, but take heart. Why? Because I have overcome. And so I began to just try to help him to take heart in a God who knows his name and loves him. And this was not his plan for you. But I'm going to tell you, we live in a broken world. I invested and I invested. And I was called to a board meeting. And in that board meeting, I was told, Pastor, you need to quit going to that bar. People are talking. It doesn't look good. You need to start spending more time with the people here at the church. That's what we're paying you for. I got called to the general superintendent. I got called to the district superintendent. And my district superintendent, a uh, good man by the name of Larry White, came in. And they began to just rail. And, and, and it wasn't the whole board. It was just a section of the board. And I'll never forget the words that Larry said. He said, you know what, I wish I got calls like this more often. <laughs> he said, because I'm sensing in your pastor someone who would leave the 99 to go after the one. We left, I left that, that meeting and, and, and my DS, he said to me, oh Matt, he said, this is going to get worse before it gets better. I said, I know. And, and it did. And we left. We were pushed out. It wasn't any two ways about it. And, but as on my last Sunday, I'm preaching the sermon. And afterwards, of course, people were coming up and hugging and loving on us. And some people were rejoicing. And that's all good, too. But as we left after four years of being there, I, I, I go out the door and there's Al. I'm sorry. He's standing across the street. Some people to say, as I walked out that door, he's been there for a long time waiting for you. He wouldn't darken the door of this church. 
But he stood across the street. And I went over there, and I shook his hand. And this is a tough guy. I mean, if you knew him, I mean, his hands are like leather. So is his face. But, I mean, but it's just, I mean, he's just worn from years of hard labor. And he shook my hand, and then he gave me a hug. And he said, thank you for being my pastor. And I left there, and I was upset because I was like, Lord, that church exists for him. That church exists for him. But you see that there were folks that couldn't admit, oh, I'm right here with you, buddy. Right before the ones who are accusing but Jesus is right down here with us too. I want you to know today that there are people in your life and they probably are striking out. They're probably saying things that may be angry. When you start to talk to them about the Lord, they may come back and say things that you never dreamed that they would say out of anger and out of hurt. Just listen and love them. And don't give up. Because I'm telling you, just like you've heard before, hurting people hurt people. But in the midst of what my family went through, in the midst of what we've been through in, in certain situations, my prayer that was given to me over years, I've been praying, Jesus, give me your unoffendable heart and help me to see them like you see them. And people can say things that are harsh and are nasty that are cruel that are not. But you know what I see as I see someone who's laying there vulnerable and something's happening behind the scenes. I don't know what it is, but Jesus kneels down and I want to kneel down with him. Just like he said, whenever you do this for the least of these, whether you fed me, you clothed me, gave me a drink of water, in my name, whenever you did that for the least of these, you did it for me. Church, as we move forward, I'm going to tell you that we have to be vulnerable with each other. If God is going to become real in our midst, if God is going to be revealed in our midst, we have to be real with each other. I've had struggles. I'm not perfect, but I serve a Savior who is. And he's kneeling with me. And he's perfecting my heart. He's making it more like his. He's helping me not to be offended when I should be offended. And I'm going to tell you this week, it's I've gotten calls from you. I'm proud of you, church. I've gotten calls from people this week, email calls, saying to me, hey, I reached out. And, and Jerry was sharing with me this, this story. He said, you know, there's an individual here I'm, I'm, I'm working with, and God laid him on my heart, and he said, I had a book that God told me, I need to give this book to this individual this week. And he said, I put it in the, the truck, and he said, and I have it there on the seat. It's called The Case for Christ. And he said, I knew this would, this would be a good one for him. And he said, but I, I kept thinking to myself, well, maybe I should do it later. And all of these thoughts came to him. Like, I, no, maybe I'll change the way that I, I do this. You know what? Maybe next week. Maybe the week after. I, and he began to second guess. And here's the reason why. is because he had to become vulnerable before this man. 
Some people have said the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. Baloney. Tell that to Paul. Bit by a snake. <laughs> thrown out of towns, beat up, thrown into prison, lashed, cursed, you name it. And then to top it off, his final day, decapitated. The safest place to be from a physical standpoint isn't in the center of God's will. But I tell you what, here's something that Paul had that most of us don't. He had eyes for the eternal, not the temporal. And so in that case, he was in the safest place he could be. Do you understand? In this world, we are going to have troubles. But begin to look through the lens of this. There are things that are eternal that you are investing yourself in. And I'm going to tell you, you've been told before, well, there's nothing you can take to heaven with you. I disagree. There is one thing you can take to heaven with you. That's another soul. Did you hear me? There is one thing you can take with you that is a soul. And so I'm going after the gold. And you are gold to me. And the people beyond these walls are gold to me. I'm going for the things I can take with me. Today, maybe some of you have had struggles with someone else here in this body. And you've said, you know what, I, I, I just, I go to the same church with them, but, but I can't, I can't get along with them, I don't love them. It says in scripture that they will know that we are his disciples by how we love one another. And so that vulnerability needs to start here, church. Do you hear me? The vulnerability needs to start here. We need to get behind the mask here. And we need to begin to think you know, in different ways about how, what it means to disciple one another. That we would walk through someone with someone through the fire and forge a friendship that nothing can sever. I, I'm telling you today, as your pastor... I'm willing, because God has spoken to my heart, I'm willing to walk through the fire with you. I want to forge relationship with you. I want to be vulnerable with you, but not for the purpose of us just being here, the gathered few, and, and, and the, you know, just, to stay here in our circle, our holy huddle. I want us to be a group that becomes so tight and so strong in the Lord Jesus Christ that this world and our community can't help but take notice and say, God is real in that place. God is real in that place. If that church can love him, he can love anyone. Oh. So today, I'm going to ask my staff people just to hand out just a covenant and it's a covenant I'm, I'm asking you just to, you can take it home with you, look at it, pray over it. But it's a covenant, and this covenant basically says, this is how we're going to treat one another within the church.
We're going to love each other. We're going to forgive each other. If we have an issue with each other, we're going to go to that person and say, look, I'm struggling. I'm not going to go to, you know, to Lori and then go to Jim and then go to, you know, to Harry and then go to, you know, to... I'm not going to go all the way around. I'm going to say, I, I'm struggling. Uh, here's, a, here's an issue that I, we have, and can we, can we work this out? And then uh, what, it also states that we are going to walk this road together. And I want you to just look at that, and if you're able to, I, I don't know, maybe they haven't started handing them out yet, but as, as they're able to, um, as you're able to look it over, I want you, if you feel led by God, to sign it and date it, put it in your Bible. And after you put it in your Bible, or put it next to wherever your, your digital Bible, your tablet, your wherever you do your devotions, I want you to remind yourself how you were going to love and be vulnerable with each other so that we can move forward in Christ and in reaching this group. Because God will be revealed when we begin to be real with one another. Amen? Today, I want to ask our, our worship team to come forward. We're going to close with that song, He Knows My Name. And I want you to know today that wherever you find yourself, whatever vulnerable position maybe you may be sensing yourself being in, that God is kneeling down with you. And maybe you feel like, you know what, I, I'm not sure that I can reach out to that person with Christ's love. God is kneeling down already with them. Will you join them? But first, we have to become vulnerable. And it starts right here in-house with how we treat one another. Let's love one another in the Lord.
come to the altar. I want you to know the altar is open for you today. Maybe you're just feeling right now that you have felt vulnerable, hurt in the midst of struggles, whatever it is. I want you to know that you can come to Jesus. He's already kneeling here for you. You can come forward. today in the feebleness of my my message lord i'm asking god that you will have worked and go ahead of me god and do a good thing through the power of your holy spirit speaking to hearts and helping us god to be vulnerable and real with each other because god we want to see you revealed in the midst of this place so today i pray that you will give us the strength and the courage and the the fortitude, the inner fortitude, God, that we need to be your people. To move, God, in ways that we never expected that we would ever move before. To put ourselves out there in places where we never dreamed that we would be, God, so that we would seek the one who still needs you. We pray these things in Jesus' name, and I pray your great blessings and power upon your people today in Jesus' name. And together we say, Amen. Amen. You are dismissed in the grace and love of our Lord Jesus today.
at his voice, trembles at his voice.